Brothers and sisters, I have to admit to you something just as we get going. As I've been studying through pride and humility this week, I have been convicted over and over again of my own pride. And so I feel wholly inadequate to get up here and to talk to you today about pride because it's something that I struggle with. But I actually don't think I need to convince you that I struggle with it because I have a hunch that you struggle with it too. If you're a human being, I have more of a hunch I actually know that you struggle with it because pride is at the core of every sin. And as I was thinking about it and this message was stirring in my heart as God was helping me prepare it, this was a message that I preached to myself over and over again as this, as this weekend started to ramp up. And there were multiple times this week when I was able to actually put it into practice or where, where there was an opportunity for me to actually struggle with that pride. I, I really struggled with it this week. There, uh, this past week, uh, we had a staff meeting. Uh, and in that meeting, uh, there's a get to know you time where we're able to get to know staff. And during that meeting, uh, there was a question asked and I was one of the guys on, uh, on the stage. And the question was, well, what are some of your hobbies? What, what are some things you like to do? I, told, I said, well, I, I love sports. I grew up playing sports. My dad just had me play every sport there was, at least that was popular in, in Indiana, because hockey was not one of those sports that I played growing up. And here in Indianapolis, I mean, we had the ice, the fuel. Like, the, hockey isn't just, isn't a big deal here in Indianapolis. And so I never grew up playing hockey. And so I mentioned, you know, I love playing sports. Um, and I grew up playing basically every sport except for hockey. And then I said, which, is that really even a sport? And, you know, I, I said that because that's my perspective. I, I've never played hockey. I don't know the kind of skill that's involved with hockey. But I was confronted the next day by a staff member who said, Casey, actually, I think you need to recant. I think you need to recant publicly from that statement that hockey is not a sport. And I said, I, I, had, a, I had a choice in that moment. I was either gonna listen and hear this perspective, which I think would have been the humble approach, or I could, have, I could have responded in pride and said, no, 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 my perspective is the only one that matters in this discussion. It's not a sport, and so just leave it at that. You can have yours maybe, but I'm right and you're wrong. Well, thankfully we were able to have a conversation. I think my immediate reaction was pride, and, and I was able to think through, okay, what are the, some, some of the things I've been learning this week? Okay, so, so what makes you so appreciative of hockey? And he was able to tell me the skill that's involved with being on the ice and really subconsciously you know, maneuvering around, being able to stop on a dime because somebody's about to slam you in the wall and then you're maneuvering this puck. You, you all know how hockey works. It's actually a lot more skill than I had given credit for. And so he was able to rebuke me and in love was able to receive that. Brothers and sisters, pride is dangerous. Pride is dangerous because it is around the corner at every turn of every day. Pastor John Stott said this about pride. He said, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. Pride is a great enemy and is our greatest enemy. And so pride is dangerous because of a couple of reasons that we're gonna look at this morning. Pride is dangerous because pride destroys joy and pride defies the gospel. So first let's look, how does pride destroy joy? Pride we all know is destructive in many ways. Um, 
and, and what humans are created to be and who we're created to, uh, to, to be is we're created to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So that's our chief end, the chief end of man, to glorify God, enjoy him forever. But pride does the exact opposite of that. It seeks to glorify self and destroy any life of pride or, or any life of joy in God and with others. So if that's the end result of pride, that it's destructive, well, what is pride? I'm gonna give you this definition. Pride is thinking more of yourself than you should. Pride is thinking more of yourself than you should. And this is a heart attitude that uh, shows itself in multiple ways. In Proverbs, there's multiple synonyms to this word pride. There's arrogance, insolence, haughtiness, all of them carrying with it a heart attitude of superiority. And so pride is thinking more of yourself than you should. And with this hard attitude, this may you know, tend more toward your relationship with God. God, I actually think I'm better than I should. But it also might lean to our relationship with others. To put it another way, pride either cares too much about what others think about us or it doesn't care at all what others, what others think about us. If it cares too much about what others think about us, we're gonna be so caring about impressing other people and then we're really gonna fall into a fear of man mindset. But if we don't care at all about what others think about us, we'll envision ourselves as an island who we can do whatever we want. We can push down whoever we want. And really it doesn't matter. And so humans were not created to be islands. We were meant to live in communion with other people, glorifying God and enjoying him together with other people. Like the song said, let us exalt him together. But pride does the opposite. It says, hey, you all out there need to together praise me, exalt me. Why does pride do the opposite? Because pride is sin. Proverbs sets up pride as sin. In Proverbs 8.13, wisdom says, pride and arrogance and the way of evil, I hate. Proverbs 16.5 says, the Lord says, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured that he will not go unpunished. And then Proverbs 21.4 says, haughty eyes and a proud heart are sin. Pride is not only one sin, though, in a long list of sins. It is widely known as the sin of all sins. The Reverend John Stott actually said that pride is the essence of all sin. C.S. Lewis uh, said that actually pride in comparison, uh, that all the other sins in comparison to pride are mere flea bites. Pride is the enemy, it's the greatest enemy. Tom Schreiner says that pride is the very core of sin because people put confidence in themselves rather than God by thinking of themselves as the origin of good instead of attributing everything that they have accomplished to God. We see pride whenever we live contrary to any of the Ten Commandments. Pride can be seen in every one of the previous sermons that we've heard during this series. Laziness, immorality, words, money, friends, in all of these, we can see our pride begin to grow when we want to live contrary to the way that God has designed us to live. And so pride destroys joy because pride is sin, and it is at the core of every sin. But how does pride destroy joy? It destroys joy in three ways. It destroys joy by destroying our confidence in God as God. It destroys joy by destroying our communion with others, 
then it destroys joy by destroying our confession, both to others and God. And so first, let's look at how does pride destroy our confidence in God as God? Proverbs 21.2 says this, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. So pride destroys confidence in God as God because it builds confidence in self as God. It says, God, actually, I've, I've got this today. I've got this this week. It wakes up in the morning, makes its, our, our coffee, it drives to work, eats lunch, goes back to work, comes home, eats dinner, goes to bed and does not give one thought to God. It says, God, actually, I, I, can, I can deal with every day on my own. I, I've got what it takes. Some of us need a bigger picture of God. Some of us need to approach God as who he is in his word and see God as high and exalted like we've sung about this morning. Some of us need to not view ourselves and take ourselves so seriously. I love how J.I. Packer talks about how, uh, how Christians actually spend all their lives in too unhumbled and conceited frame of mind to ever gain any wisdom from God at all. Because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But pride says, you don't need to do that. You can leave that for later. You need other people to fear you. So might I suggest that we sometimes take ourselves just way too seriously. We, we get cut off on the highway and we say, how dare he do that to me? Do, doesn't he or she know who I am? I'm gonna, I'm gonna speed up and just get them right behind me again. We take ourselves way too seriously. Eugene Peterson says that laughter restores perspective. So brothers, sometimes we need to actually look in the mirror and laugh at ourselves because we have taken ourselves way too seriously that day. Laughter restores perspective. He says, there is such a thing as taking the world's arrogance too seriously. God laughs, we join him. In laughter, every high-flown pretension is seen as silly posturing. When we go throughout our day and do not give one thought to God, we are saying, we're puffing out our chest and saying, God, I, I've got this today. Every way, every way today is right in my own eyes, and, I, and I've got this. It just makes me think of this, this idea of silly posturing makes me think, we, we grew up with miniature dachshunds growing up, you know, the really tiny ones, really short, and we would take them on walks all the time, and whenever we would see, you know, a big dog starting to come up, um, our dog would say, well, I need to protect my family. So the little yelps started coming, and, the little, and, you've, and you've seen a little dog approached by like a big German shepherd, and the dog is trying to defend with all of its might, hey, I'm going to protect my family, get away, and it's yelping, it's barking, and it's just funny. Because it's like, what, what are you going to do to this big 90-pound dog? What do you think? And that is what it looks like. And I can just imagine when men and women puff out their chest and say, God, I've got this today. I've got this this week. I've got it this year, actually. And, and it's just silly posturing. It's just silly. And God laughs. 
and he holds the nations in derision, it says in Psalms multiple times. And so we just sometimes need to stop taking ourselves too seriously because pride, our pride puffing us up makes us think that we can't have confidence in God as God, but we can. So pride destroys confidence in God as God. Second, it destroys communion with others, destroys communion with others, our relationships. It does this in three primary ways. First of all, through comparison. So comparison, I'll let you go ahead and write down the communion with others. And then there we go, comparison. How does pride actually destroy our communion with others through comparison? Well, we've all, we've all probably done this before. In our identity, we get so wrapped up in it that we think to ourselves, well, I, I'm better than them. I'm better than them at this. Or we're on the other side and we say, God, why didn't you make me like them? We compare ourselves to others. This is exactly what Jesus talks about in his Pharisee of the, or his uh, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector who are in the open square praying. The Pharisee lifts up his head to God and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, unjust, extortioners, adulterers, especially like this tax collector over here. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. This is destructive. And we see pride coming in and, letting, and whispering us, to us the lie. This will satisfy you. If you can prove to yourself that you're better than them, this will satisfy you. Pride will never satisfy you in this way. You will always be comparing yourself to others, looking for approval. But it's only when you compare yourself to the infinite creator, the king of angel armies, the majestic sovereign. It's only then that you will realize how laughable it is to compare yourself to other people through success, money, skill, something else. It, it just doesn't matter. It's funny. So comparison. Comparison will destroy our communion with others. Also competitiveness. Competitiveness will destroy our communion with others. C.S. Lewis actually says that this is the essence of pride. Proverbs 30, verse 32 says, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been evil devising, e or if you have been devising evil, put your hand over your mouth. So competitiveness, if you've been exalting yourself other, over others, in this, we, we don't care about what others think about us. We only care about winning. We care more about prizes than people care more about winning than being winsome, more about serving or more about success than serving, more about exalting self than encouraging others. How often do we get on our social medias and just say, you know what, I'm gonna win this argument. How, how often do we do that and want to win an argument more than expressing our love for one another? How much more do we want a job promotion than seeing our coworkers come to Christ? How much more do we want that nicer car to just make everybody look at us and, and make us look and seem like we have some kind of status in the world? How much more do we want that than inviting somebody over for dinner to have conversation? And so pride is destructive to our communion with others through our comparison with others, through our competitiveness, pushing others down, and then also through contention, through contention. Proverbs 13.10 says, insolence brings strife. A person who receives advice, uh, a person who receives advice brings wisdom. 
the, I, I really like the New Living Translation on this. It's much easier to understand. It says, pride leads to conflict. Pride leads to conflict. The Corinthian church divided over just about everything. If you read through First and Second Corinthians, you'll see them dividing over who discipled them, who planted their church, which gifts are better than others. They divided over everything because they, they just thought, my, my perspective is the best perspective. My perspective is the only right perspective. And so they fought and warred with each other. And so that's why Paul gives us the example of the body, the body of Christ of having many members, but in each of us individually members of it of the less honorable that we view as less honorable, God actually views as more honorable. So let's not look for conflict with one another. What crusade, what crusade are you on for your own personal rights that you feel like you must fight tooth and nail, argue and trample over others in order to win that fight? So pride destroys our confidence in God as God. It destroys our communion with others. And then third, it, pride destroys our confession. Pride destroys confession. Proverbs 29, 23 says this, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Will obtain honor. So one whose spirit is brought low will obtain honor. So our confession, our pride says to our, to our heart, you, you don't need to confess that before God. You, you don't need to follow 1 John 1, 9. It says if you confess your sins, faithful and just. You don't, you don't need to be part of the body of Christ and actually confess your sins to other believers. You don't need to do that because then they might view you less godly. Pride is so deceptive. In a new age where everyone, even in this building, is wearing a mask, one thing that we need to realize is that humans are very good at wearing masks of, we don't want people to see our real feelings. We're really good at wearing masks. In Japanese culture, the word tatame uh, brings in this idea of wearing a mask of feelings in order to um, share with other people a, a perception such that they don't actually see your true feelings. So it's a, it's a mask where you share feelings that, uh, with people that maybe you're not even close to. It's, it, the focus is how you want to be perceived rather than who you actually are. And so Tatame describes an aspect of life that none of us really enjoys talking about. It's the face that we put on when we don't want to show others our true and genuine feelings. How does this relate to pride? By not speaking honestly in love, we are saying that my desire for how you perceive me is more important than letting you actually see me. My desires for how you perceive me, that, that's more important than, how, than letting you actually see me. And so another way to put that is just, I'd rather look humble than actually be humble. Maybe you're a husband who was convicted last week of using your speech wisely. I know I was. Your pride is the only thing keeping you from confessing that to your wife or to your kids this week. Wives, likewise. Fathers and mothers, did you respond in haste, saying something from a heart of anger to your kids? If you haven't asked them for forgiveness, pride is destroying that opportunity for confession. Pride is blocking you from asking for forgiveness. Think about it. Parents, how else will your children learn how to respond in a humble and wise way when they mess up, when they do something wrong? They're going to learn that from you. 
So why not be the example? Singles, talk to husbands, wives, fathers, and mothers, singles. What's keeping you from sharing the sins that you're struggling with with those intimate friends that Pastor Zach talked about last week? What's keeping you from sharing with your small group the sins that you're wrestling with? It's pride that locks us up. I felt this before. I know, I'm honestly feeling it even now as I confess to you my own sins. Even, even this week, I, I was thinking about it. I was like, man, I, I do not confess pride to other people, to my brothers in Christ as much as I should. And so I walked into the office of a coworker and I sat down fully ready to just say generally, hey, I wanna confess to you my pride. And I sat down and I thought about it and I ended up saying, actually, I wanna confess to you that I came in here ready to confess something that I'm not actually convicted of. I came in here wanting to look more godly than I actually am. And so brother, will you give me grace? Will you give me encouragement for that? Pride destroys our confession. So pride is destructive. It's dangerous. It's our greatest enemy. But pride is dangerous not only because it destroys joy, but also because it defies the gospel. Pride defies the gospel. The gospel calls us to humility. In Colossians 3.12, Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, humility. The way up is the way down. Or to put it another way, the way to God is actually the way of God. Jesus himself came and was the perfect example of humility. But pride doesn't want to recognize Jesus as an example of humility. Pride wants to shake its fist as God and say, I've got this, or give me your throne. C.J. Mahaney says that pride is contending for supremacy with God and lifting up our hearts against him. And so the message of the gospel calls us to, first of all, a humble savior, and then second, to a humble life. So first of all, the message of the gospel is a call to a humble savior. Jesus came to bear witness about himself that he did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He did not come for the healthy but for the sick. His compassion for the sick, both physically and spiritually, drove him to action. He came for those who were lost, blind, and in despair. Jesus describes his heart as gentle and lowly. He was the epitome of godly humility. Andrew Murray wrote a book on humility and said this, Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. The eternal love humbling itself, clothing itself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve and save us. According to Philippians 2, which Brad prayed through this morning, Jesus is our example of a man who in humility counted others more significant than himself. That though he was God, he did not access his divinity during his life, but he emptied himself so that he emptied himself of everything that he legally before God could have been proud of. He emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death to the point of death the death on the cross. That's why God highly exalted him because Jesus took the road of humility. The way to God is the way of God and Jesus showed us that 
Humility is the way to God. So the message of the gospel is a call to a humble savior. It's also a message, uh, the gospel message is a call to a humble life. It's a call to a humble life. It does this in a couple different ways. First of all, it calls us to having a right perspective of ourselves. It calls us to not have confidence and build confidence in ourselves as God, but it calls us to have a right perspective, a creator-creature perspective. That I am not God. I can't make it through the, I can't even breathe this next breath unless it's because God gives it to me. So we must have a right perspective. We don't know everything that we could possibly ever know. We, we're not omniscient. Jesus, God, is however omniscient. And so we should have a right perspective. We don't know everything. And so when we get in conflict, when we get in arguments, we need to like remember, I don't know everything. And so they may have other information that I actually don't even know. I, I love, I was talking to um, our pastor, assistant pastor of soul care, Ryan Berg, and he mentioned a definition of humility that I want to share with you. Love it. He said, humility is being wrong, or, or sorry, not being wrong. Humility is being willing to be wrong anytime, anywhere, about anything. With the caveat that it may, you may not actually be wrong, but you're at least willing to be wrong. When you approach a conversation with somebody, may, maybe I am wrong. When I get cut off on the road, on the highway, maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I cut him off accidentally back there, and I didn't mean to. And so being willing to be wrong about anything, anytime, anywhere. As you approach social media this week, ask yourself, am, am I willing to be wrong about this? John Flavola, a Puritan, said, they that know God will be humble. And they that know themselves cannot be proud. They that know themselves will be humble. They that know themselves cannot be proud. And so during your quiet time, quiet time is meant to help us understand this. Our time in the word, opening it up and communion with, communing with God is meant to help us recognize this creator creation perspective. Prayer is meant to help us with this. Our prayerlessness shows our pride. It says, God, I can fix this. I don't need you for this. So pride destroys uh, uh, the, the gospel or defies the gospel. But the message of the gospel is a call to a humble life through having a right perspective, through submission and then obedience by submitting to our under shepherds and our great shepherd. First Peter 5, one through six talks about this perspective of, of submitting, of living a humble life of submission, both to our shepherd and our under shepherds. First Peter 5, five says this, likewise, you who are younger, Subject, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so the humble life is marked by a right perspective, by submission and obedience, but also by, humil or by unity. By unity. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, Paul talks about, with all humility, seek to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. But if we think we can accomplish that on our own, that is pride. 
we must with all humility through the power of the Spirit seek to maintain unity. What Pastor Mark talked about before, unity is not uniformity. We're not saying we're all gonna think the exact same thing. It's also not saying there's gonna be no conflict. This is gonna be a utopian society. We're, not, we're never gonna disagree. We're never gonna argue. We're never even gonna offend one another. Now, unity says there actually will be conflict and we are committed to working through that conflict in a God-honoring, Christ-magnifying way. So a humble life is marked by a right perspective, submission, unity, and then last, boasting in Christ boasting in Christ. There is only one proper pride for all of God's creatures. That only kind of boasting permitted in God's world is boasting in Christ. Since pride is thinking more of yourselves than you should, contending for supremacy with God, or simply taking yourself too seriously, I plead with you today to repent of your pride this morning and to believe in the gospel of humility. Come to our humble savior and live humbly by his grace. We can't do this on our own. We need the spirit of God to help us die to ourselves every day. We need him to make us look more like Jesus. And so let's every day this week confess our pride, pursue joy in God and with others by saying, if more of you means less of me, and Father, make me more like Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your son. Thank you that he came and gave us the perfect example of humility. I ask that as we looked at pride today that man, some of us, we struggle with putting confidence in ourselves as God. We struggle with breaking communion with others. We struggle with confessing our sin both to you and to others. God, would you break us of our pride and allow us to live humble lives by the power of your spirit after the example of our humble savior. I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.